Hey everybody, welcome back to Cash's Corner. And if you can believe it, this is the season two finale. Jan, we have shot 20 plus episodes of Cash's Corner. I'm excited to get into the Danchenko stuff today, but we'll be back after Thanksgiving with season three of Cash's Corner. But before we do, we have one more episode, all things Russiagate, Durham, and Mr. Danchenko. Well, it really is kind of crazy that we're 20 plus episodes yeah, into this. I mean, how, how does that happen? And Wow, you know, the Igor Dychenko indictment, it's, I think, one of the biggest Stunning. things that's happened in mm -hmm. a very, very long time in terms of new information. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, why don't you break down the indictment for well, Let's just start there. There's a kajillion questions yeah. I have for you here. No, so let's really quick 60-second recap. We do the Russiagate investigation under Chairman Nunes. I was the lead investigator. We put out the Nunes memo, the House Intelligence Report, where we find all the FISA abuse, all the fraud, all the mis uh, misapplication of law by the FBI and the DOJ to get a warrant. That's validated by the Inspector General's report. The Inspector General goes on to do two separate reports and finds over 100 abuses in FISA applications in the last one or two years. That's a big problem. So we're addressing those issues. Then comes John Durham, special counsel, appointed in the Trump administration to investigate, basically, the investigators, as Devin used to say. And he now has three indictments. First indictment, FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith is now convicted felon for lying to the FISA court. He literally took a document, John Durham indicted him for it, took an email and doctored the contents of the email to mean the opposite of what it said. So now you have proven FBI agent abusing the FISA court and breaking the law. Two, Michael Sussman was indicted about one to two months ago. Who's Sussman? As you know, we did a whole show on him. He is the DNC Hillary campaign lawyer whose law firm was paid tens of millions of dollars. They hired Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele. That led us to the dossier. Why is Sussman important? He's been indicted for lying to the FBI about who his client was, his client being the DNC and the Hillary campaign. So that case is ongoing. So now you have the FBI, they're in unlawful actions, you have Michael Sussman, the DNC who represents the Hillary Clinton campaign and their unlawful actions and their distribution of false information to the media. Now we get to Igor Denchenkov. Who is he and why does anyone care? Long story short, Christopher Steele, as everyone now knows, whose credibility has been completely destroyed by actual facts, had to get his information or so-called made-up information from somewhere. Christopher Steele's main source for the Steele dossier is Igor Denchenkov, or at least that's what Christopher Steele told the world. And, uh, you know, Durham gives us an incredible amount of new information uh -huh. in here. I mean, we learn, I mean, potentially, and I want to get your perspective on this, you know, this, we have Sergey Million being, you know, apparently exonerated. Uh -huh. um, uh, we have the appearance of someone who I, frankly, knew nothing about. I was almost like trying to figure out well, what didn't that? What did I miss here? A guy named Dolan. Yeah, you know what did you miss? What did I miss? I'm the lead Russia guy, and I had never heard of this guy. I mean, to me, it's it's tragic in how comical it is because we, under Chairman Nunes, when we're running RussiaGate, we sent letters and subpoenas, congressional subpoenas, used properly, to the FBI and DOJ for all documentation relating to Christopher Steele's dossier, the underlying reporting and all the connections that he and the FBI had through the whole Russiagate scandal. Charles Dolan never came up once. Me, nor not one member of my team, nor any of the Republicans on House Intel, 
had ever heard of Charles Dolan until John Durham's indictment. Why is that so stark? Why is that s such a su surprise? It means to me the FBI and DOJ under Rod Rosenstein withheld information that was critical to the Russiagate investigation that we were running in 2016, 2017, 2018. And who knows what else they've left out they omitted from providing us. And we knew they weren't giving us everything. But Charles Dolan, and we can talk about why he's so important, is an example that gives me more faith in John Durham because he's getting that information that was hidden and kept from us in Congress. Well, and just why don't you flesh out exactly why, why you're so sure that there's something that the FBI knew that's being explicitly hidden from you as opposed to missed, for example. Sure. Yeah. The, the, we'll get into the uh, Danchenko indictment, but in the pages of the indictment, it's clear the FBI interviewed not just Steele, but also interviewed Denchenkov not once, twice, thrice, four times, five times. They did not admit that to us when we were investigating the Russiagate investigation. I think we added at most two or three instances of an interview, and we never got the full contents anyway. Now there's five. Where did that come from? Charles Dolan. Who is Charles Dolan? Why is he important? Charles Dolan, a career Democrat, longtime Clinton ally, worked on Bill Clinton's presidential campaign, worked on Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign and has given tens of thousands of dollars to only Democratic candidates for national office. He is affiliated with Danchenko and Steele. How does that happen? Fiona Hill, if you remember Fiona Hill, and we'll talk about her later, introduces the three of them. And then why is it important? Who cares who Charlie Dolan is, right? Well, John Durham's indictment tells us why he is such a critical figure um, in all this, because Charlie Dolan, Denchenko indictment, is the one that was feeding information to Jenchenko for the Steele dossier. And here we have on full display for the world to see, Denchenko is shown to have not provided any credible information to Christopher Steele for his dossier. So if this, the reporting that Steele got was not credible, and Danchenko, his main sources, saying on the record now, I didn't give you any credible information. Why are you citing me as a source in your investigation? What did Christopher Steele rely on um, to support his recent interview with George Stephanopoulos saying he still believes in his work? He can't. His credibility has been shattered. And you asked me a couple weeks ago, why did they do that interview? They did that interview because they knew the Danchenko indictment was coming. And we said it back then. Fascinating. No, and just a little bit about Fiona Hill. Of course, you know, she kind of came into the public eye in the impeachment hearings. Now, so she clearly knew both Dolan and Danchenko, but not necessarily introduced the two. Or how does that, like, this is, this is an interesting question. So Fiona Hill, a think tanker um, who ended up in the Trump White House on the National Security Council covering European, European affairs. And she was the one who conjured up the Ukraine fiasco that led to the impeachment of President Trump. So her and... Uh, Vindman, Alexander Vindman was the other one who said Trump had this phone call where there was this quid pro quo. Well, now we know since the contents of that actual call were released and the transcript released, America can read for themselves. That's not what happened. And we wasted uh, months of our time impeaching a U.S. president when that should never have been done. That was started by Fiona Hill in large part. And why is she important? Igor Danchenkov used to be Fiona Hill's research assistant. He used to work for her here in America before she went to the White House. Fiona Hill introduces Denchenkov to Christopher Steele. Well, you know, just let that sit for a second. 
the guy who wrote the Steele dossier and was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to do it, Christopher Steele, by the DNC and the Hiller campaign, was introduced to a subsource by Fiona Hill, the very lady who went into the Trump White House and then conjured up the Ukraine impeachment fiasco. And that's why people should be asking questions about her. Not only did she know Danchenkov, but Fiona Hill also knew Charlie Dolan from her days, their days together at the, previously at the State Department. So how is it possible that Fiona Hill introduces Steele to a subsource for purposes of Russiagate, is friends with Charlie Dolan, introduces Charlie Dolan to Denchenkov. What did she testify? She, Fiona Hill, testified to the world during the Ukraine impeachment trial of President Trump. So here's the exact quote. She says, I have no knowledge whatsoever of how he developed that steel, of how he developed that dossier. None. I just want to state that. That's literally unbelievable. Fiona Hill introduces Christopher Steele to Denchenkov, his main source, the guy that used to work for her, and Mr. Dolan, introduced to Denchenkov by Fiona Hill. And she has no idea. She testified under oath. She has no idea what Steele was doing or how that dossier got made. I think if I were John Durham, I'd have already placed her in a grand jury and questioned her under oath again because she testified there under oath to Congress and she may have a problem about lying to Congress. Um, let's go back for a moment. Let's actually break down the indictment from the top. Yeah, sorry. I got so excited. I, this is, you know, years of my life coming around full circle that I skipped over what we're actually supposed to be talking about, the, the contents of the dossier, uh, excuse me, the indictment. Um, okay, so the indictment basically says that Danchenkov, the defendant in this case, lied to the FBI on five separate occasions. And that's a crime. So long as the FBI has it properly documented, which I believe they do, otherwise John Durham would never have brought it. And another component of lying to the FBI is it has to be material to something, material to your investigation. So what John Durham is alleging, and we can go through the counts, but he's basically saying on multiple occasions, Igor Tenchenkov was interviewed by the FBI about the Russiagate investigation, the Steele dossier, his involvement with folks like Sergey Milian, and what John Durham is saying on multiple occasions, he lied. He lied to the FBI about his involvement, quote unquote, with the Steele dossier, about who he was talking to, about meetings he had, and about um, other individuals who he said he got information from. Durham is saying Danchenko lied about those things in this indictment. And like the Sussman indictment, which was 29 pages, if I recall correctly, this is another, he was also charged with lying to the FBI. Danchenko's indictment is 39 pages long. And if, again, as a former federal prosecutor, we talked about this before, you know, those indictments are two, three, four pages max. So people are probably asking, well, why do you take 39 pages to talk about lying to the FBI? And I think it speaks to what we were talking about in the last episode with Sussman, Ray Sussman. He, John Durham, is using the only means he has to communicate to the public an indictment, because indictments have to be public, by telling the narrative, his investigation. He has pieced together a 39-page indictment naming individuals, not by name, because he can't, but by title, which is how we found out who PR Executive One in the indictment was, Mr. Dolan, um, and things like that. So he is telling the world, I believe Igor Denchenkov lied, and these are the cast of characters that are involved in this entire process. And I think the biggest name to stand out um, either from the Sussman indictment or the Danchenko indictment was Jake Sullivan, the current national security advisor. Well, okay, so 
this just something interesting. You said the only way that Durham has to communicate is through these indictments. Now, I, I'm still incredibly fascinated, mm -hmm. to use the word again, by what a tight ship Durham has yeah. been running. I mean, there's been like, you know, one minor leak, mm -hmm. let's call it that, right? That recently, or at least reported as such. But like, you know, we basically, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of people, including you and me to some extent, weren't really expecting much to come of it. Yeah, in this day, you know, you know, since President Trump got elected in 2016, I think we've talked about this, the landscape sort of shifted. The media blew up. Leaks of classified information were doled out by people in the deep state if it felt they could advance a political narrative that they wanted. And accurate reporting was just um, a thing of the past for most journalists. And that's why in the Durham indictment, I think everybody expected some form of leaks during his entire investigation. He's been at it for over two years now. And you're right, he has kept uh, a tight ship. And that's the one thing that gave me faith in him so far back. Now, look, I'll be the first to admit my faith in him has gone up and down and now we're back up again. Um, but he did the rendition special investigation. Remember when the CIA was charged with uh, uh, using what we call rendition techniques or quote unquote torture techniques uh, during the war on terror. It's one of the most serious investigations ever. And he was charged with running that investigation and interviewing attorneys generals and the like. So he knows how to handle high level investigations. He kept that one under wraps until it was ready to go. So it's no surprise to me that he's able to do this. But in this environment, it's it should be, you know, extra hats off to John Durham for, you know, not leaking anything. And, you know, speaking of this one leak, you know, it, it turns out that he wasn't planning doing to do one of these midnight raids with, uh, <laughs> you know, guns trained and all this. So like it's, a Stone. it's a little bit of a different approach, isn't it? Yeah. So with Danchenkov, what was reported is, you know, and, and I think the same with Sussman and probably the same with Kleinsmith, there's a professional way to do things with certain types of defendants. If you know your defendant's not a threat, he's not armed, he's not going to flee, um, he's not going to run away or leave the country or put anyone in danger. You call that person's lawyer and you tell them, hey, we now have an indictment coming. We'd like you to bring your client in so we can be processed because per the law, he has to be here for a judge within 24 hours for arraignment, as we call it. And most of the times in these high profile cases, that's what happens. They call the lawyer, they bring him in. They don't do the whole uh, perp walk, as we call it, like they did with Roger Stone in the Midnight Raid. But they just do a very professional, please come in, get your fingerprints, get booked, have an arraignment, and then you'll be released on bond. And I think that was supposed to happen in Denchenkov, but there was actually a report of a leak. The only leak I could find in the John Durham investigation to, or a media outlet reported that this individual was going to be arrested in the appropriate fashion through, uh, through the lawyers. And since that happened, that wrecked the timetable, which is why they had to go arrest him, um, I think at his home or some location in, in Virginia, uh, the normal way. Yeah, no, and that, that, I mean, that itself is really interesting, the sort of the, the thought process behind mm -hmm. the difference between, as you call it, the professional version versus the midnight raid when it's not necessary. Right. Let's jump back to these, you know, five areas where, mm -hmm. you know, of material lying that Denchenko has been indicted under. And specifically, I want to talk about Sergey Millian right yeah. here. Because, of course, you know, Sergey Millian has always said, always maintained that he had no communication with Danchenko, right? That, mm -hmm. he, that he just, that this was, that this was a fabrication. It seems like mm -hmm. this indictment actually exonerates him. Tell me your thoughts. Okay, so, wow, yeah. Sergey Millian was someone 
we spent a lot of time on during the Russiagate investigation. And he's yet another example of something we discovered out his identity and who he was, but because of our position in Congress and us wanting to protect people's personal identifiable information, we didn't disclose it to the public for some time. And, and when, so roughly when did you figure this out? Probably 20, late 2017. Um, yeah, going into the, the winter of 2017. Um, and it was attributed in the Steele dossier. Obviously, the Steele dossier didn't have the names of his sources. It just said source one, source two. And I think we attributed it at the time, Sergey Millian as source two. I believe I might have the number wrong, but a, a, a big source, according to Christopher Steele, in the Steele dossier, he, he made it look like he had a vast source network, you know, throughout Moscow and St. Petersburg and Russia. And uh, it sounded like a spy novel thriller uh, when you read the Steele dossier, which is why I think people were so uh, fantasized by, by how it read. But winding the clock back about how we approached the Russiagate investigation that I, that I ran, we did two things. One, follow the money, and we've talked about that. And two, source credibility. Not just steel, but I told Devin Nunes at the time, look, we got to start figuring out who these subsources are, and we have to evaluate their credibility and what the FBI, more importantly, what the FBI did to verify their credibility. And I think this is where the FBI gets in a lot of problems with Sergey Emilion, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but here's what's happened. Fast forward since the Russiagate investigation on House Intel. Sergey Milian has now come out, and I think there's a recent tweet uh, basically saying he's been totally vindicated, and he has been. Because not only has Sergey Milian now said, um, I didn't give you any credible information for your dossier. Danchenko has also come out and said, I didn't give you any credible information for your dossier. But there were three to four affidavits filed in U.S. federal court last week by the other subsources in Steele's dossier saying they provided almost no credible information to Christopher Steele for his dossier. In fact, most of the information was provided basically, and I'm paraphrasing, in jest. They filed that in a federal court of law in the United States, they being the Steele subsource network. So all of Christopher Steele's sources have now been totally annihilated by their own account and people starting to get indicted and Christopher Steele still has the audacity to get up on national TV, um, not for an actual question and answer, but just so he can get his fairy tale out that he continues to be a credible um, investigator for the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. And, you know, in the indictment, it basically, it looks like Million never communicated with Denchenko. Isn't that shocking? I think you're right. The one of the major subsources for the Steele dossier, and I'm glad you brought this up, is saying, Sergey Milian, I never talked to Christopher Steele. So where did he get that information from? Why did he get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for that information? And who else was that information peddled to? It was peddled to the mainstream media who ran with it and helped destroy yet another life. And Sergey Milian's another individual who I believe was wrongfully attacked by the media once his name eventually got out there and his day of reckoning has also come. So I don't know what Christopher Seale is going to do next. Maybe he'll go on the mainstream news again and try to give a soliloquy on how him not being in Russia for the last 20 years makes him the appropriate figure to create a Russian dossier. But I just don't think the American public has the attention span um, anymore to give him uh, I want to I want to touch on the not being in Russia for, 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 in a moment, but here's the tweet, recent tweet 
you know, we're filming here on, you know, Wednesday. Uh, Sergey Milian pub- you know, put this up two hours ago. He says, Igor Danchenko, the whole world is now aware that you framed me and the U- and U.S. president. Please speak up now ASAP and tell your whole story and who is behind you. And then he says, you have very little time left because your own friends will take care of you. You know that very well, don't you? Wow. That's a... Uh- that's pretty powerful. I mean, I guess, you know, I can only speculate as to how Sergey Emilion feels. Having been attacked myself, I can maybe we have some crossover there, falsely attacked. Um, but it's a powerful statement for a, one of the subsources or sources in the Steel dossier. Do you think Igor Danchenko should be fearing for his life? I don't think so, but he might be, um, given everything he's been through. But I don't think so because... He's a charged defendant in a U.S. federal prosecution. Even though he's out on bond, he's still being monitored by law enforcement authorities and in touch with his lawyers and in touch with the Justice Department and the FBI. So if something does happen or if some serious threat is seen by them, they will um, act appropriately, I believe. At least John Durham's people will because they don't want to see a defendant get killed uh, prior or ever, but especially prior to trial. Well... So here's the thing, I, I, when you talked about Steele not being in Russia for 20 odd yeah. years, right? Um, it made me think of Dolan, okay? And we, we got to yeah. talk about Dolan yeah. because, again, nobody, it sounds like if you didn't know who Dolan was, uh, nobody totally. knew who Dolan was, I mean. Yeah. So um, it, it looks like, you know, basically that Dolan was communicating with very high level Russians around the time when he was accusing the Trump campaign of communicating with very high-level Russians, which they weren't doing. Isn't that like a, just a bizarre... Is that right? And isn't that just completely bizarre? I think your summary is right per John Durham's indictment. I think what's, what's stunning is, just to remind our audience, Carter Page was the individual targeted by the, by the FBI and the FISA process to surveil President Trump's campaign. Carter Page per the now declassified FISAs, uh, thanks to our work on the Intel Committee, was they alleged, the FBI, that Carter Page was having these high-level meetings in Russia with two of President Putin's biggest supporters who happened to, oh, just own one of the world's largest um, natural gas companies. And what the FBI alleged in the FISA was that Carter Page was bartering his access to President, or then-candidate Trump, with these Russians on behalf of Putin, and that would have been a quid pro quo, which would have made him a foreign agent, right? And a rightful target of a FISA. The only problem is those meetings never happened. And it's very curious now that we find out Charles Dolan, a Hillary Clinton operative who was paid money by the Clinton campaign and supported Democrats, happened to be in Russia in 2016 talking about meetings that... Uh, then-candidate Trump's advisors were supposedly also in Russia having these high-level treasonous meetings. I think it's more than curious, and as I've said before, there isn't a coincidence in these types of FBI investigations, especially not the one John Durham's running. If, in my opinion, if Dolan is putting himself in Russia at the time, supposedly the FBI is falsely relying on Carter Page having these meetings, I think Charlie Dolan is part of the reason why you have those meetings, and that's where it came from, from Dolan to Danchenkov to Steele. And once again, what did Fiona Hill know about all of it back then? 
Well, no, fascinating. And just to remind everybody that Carter Page was actually a CIA source all along, right? So what I'll say is Carter Page assisted various government agencies um, over the years. The one I can talk about publicly is the FBI. And here's, you know, one of those things that we don't touch upon often, but now it's been declassified. It took us a long time to do it. The FBI had been working with Carter Page at the time of his FISA application, FISA warrant target, for almost 10 years. They never told the FISA judge that Carter Page was someone who provided them useful information and the Russians that Carter Page was around at the time that he was working with the FBI told, were, were caught saying Carter Page is, I quote, an idiot and someone who can't be relied on. That information would have changed the landscape of that FISA just in and of itself. And that was something that we found that the FBI buried and the inspector general validated. It was a, one of those 17 errors of omissions in the FISA warrant application for Carter Page that would have invalidated that warrant. And later the Justice Department did invalidate those FISAs. Well, so let's, let's flesh out Dolan a little bit here because I think, you know, there's probably people that are watching right now <laughs> are wondering, you know, who is this guy? Yeah. Where does, you know, what, what is he all about? And clearly he's someone who, does, who did have access to very high level sure. Russians. So, you know, plausible source mm -hmm. for something like the Steele dossier. Now, and we've, we've talked a little bit about why this might be a problem inherently, but, but flesh him out, who is he? Well, in my estimation, and again, I'm only learning of Charlie Dolan now with the rest of the world. This isn't one of those scenarios where I knew it back then in my investigation and wasn't able to speak of it because we were doing an investigation or it was classified or anything like that. It's totally different for, for me. I'm just, I'm in the same boat as everybody else is. So to me, he's a political operative who's connected directly to Fiona Hill, who has been connected directly to Christopher Steele and Steele's main subsource. And the Russian collusion narrative, if you rewind the clock, was Trump is conspiring with Putin and his cronies to rig a presidential election or do favors once he's elected president. The reality now is we know the only people that actually colluded with the Russian government or Russians is the Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC, corrupt bureaucrats at the FBI and DOJ. And it seems that this Charlie Dolan is the perfect example of an outsider who was not in government at the time, who was helping the Clinton campaign connect the dots, the dots being the individuals who pieced together the dossier, the dossier being the, the one document that, as Andy McCabe said under oath, and we were finally able to declassify, if there is no steel dossier, there is no FISA warrant on Carter Page. That was the deputy director of the FBI. He said it to us in the winter of 2017, if I believe, and that deposition is now available also online. So it's pretty shocking stuff that someone who is so integral in putting together the Steele dossier is only now coming to, to light. You know, and, it just, and just as a quick reminder, Dolan was an active campaigner during Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. Right, so not only do you have an individual who's not in government working at the behest of the Hillary Clinton campaign, he's advising that campaign uh, while talking to Steele and Danchenko um, about the Steele dossier, what else did he know? Did he provide more information to Christopher Steele than Danchenko's alleging? Did he provide false information? Did the FBI interview him in 2017 and 2018? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe John Durham does. And who paid Dolan? 
I'm sure he didn't do it for free. Did the Hillary campaign pay Dolan like they paid Perkins Coie, their law firm, $10 million, Michael Sussman and Mark Elias? Did they pay him what they paid Christopher Steele, six figures? Did they pay him what they paid Nellie Orr, $50,000 to dig up Russian dirt? What do you get paid? I think following the money has always been my theme, and I'll be interested to see where John Durham's money trail goes to Charles Dolan. So just going back to what we were talking about before, uh, Sergey Million was source six. Um, and I understand why uh, you don't remember, because I keep thinking of him as chamber president one, because mm -hmm. that's what he is in this indictment right. that we're looking at. Right. And but But so speaking of the Russian Chamber of Commerce. What your thoughts here? So I think that's one of the critical components of this indictment of Denchenko. I know there's five counts, but let's talk about the main one I think is important, Sergey Milian. So what John Durham is saying in this indictment is that Danchenko lied to the FBI about contacts he, Danchenko, had with the Russian American Chamber of Commerce, who at the time was headed up by Sergey Milian. What Durham is saying is that Danchenko told the FBI he, Danchenko, got information from the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce via Sergey Milian. What Sergey Milian is saying, and as you pointed out earlier, is that he never spoke to Danchenko. So John Durham has caught Danchenko lying. And I think that's the most critical component, not just because he's caught him in a federal offense, but because the perpetrators of the, of the Russia hoax, as we call it in the media, is they relied on that as a major connection to Trump's universe and Russia. The Russian-American Chamber of Commerce was embedded via Danchenko and supposedly, falsely, Sergey Milian in the Steele dossier. Sergey Milian was a source in the Steele dossier um, that we've now disproven. And it gave yet another tie on top of the whole AlphaBank server stuff that we talked about previously that Trump and his associates are talking to Russians. And that's why I think it's critically important that John Durham proves that the exact opposite was true. There was no connection to the Russian-American Chamber of Commerce. Sergey Milian provided no dirt on Donald Trump to Genchenko for Christopher Steele for Steele's dossier. And I think to me, that's one of the more stunning um, disclosures of John Durham's indictment of Denchenko. What I would want to know, as being the lead investigator back then, is why did the FBI tell us this? They interviewed Igor Denchenko five times. They didn't give us those reports. We asked for them. Why did Rod Rosenstein withhold these documents and this information, even though Congress sent him subpoenas, and the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee at the time, Devin Nunes, sent him a letter requesting all the information surrounding Steele, uh, what we call the FISA court application and the Woods file, all of that information should have been turned over. And now I've proven right that they only turned over part of it. And what they did turn over, a lot of it was redacted. And that's why we were fighting such an uphill battle to disclose it to the American public and the full story. You know, and, and to think that, uh, you know, I guess your, your opposition described, you know, what you and Chairman Nunes, as you like to call him, um, we're running a Mickey Mouse operation. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's true. And, you know, when you're running this sort of investigation, which turned out to be the biggest investigation in modern congressional history, I think, I think it's much larger than Watergate. Um, and it, we're only halfway through it. So the, the, our opponents would mock us. They would personalize their attacks against us, um, execute their vendettas against us in the media by making up stories. And then they labeled our investigation when we 
expose the money line to Hillary Clinton and Steele and Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson. They did. They called us the Mickey Mouse operation. So what did I do? I turned around and gave that a big bear hug. I jumped on the interwebs. I found the brightest, loudest Mickey Mouse Clubhouse rug I could find online and I bought it and I took it into the skiff in the House Intelligence Committee space and that was our floor mat for myself and my partner who's running the Russiagate investigation for the entire time. So yeah, we ran a Mickey Mouse uh, Clubhouse operation that exposed the biggest political scandal in U.S. history and has now proven Adam Schiff to be the biggest hack in congressional history. Well, well so actually Congressman Schiff was on um, the, the view. view recently talking about it. And you, you issued a statement yeah. about this because I remember we covered this re- just a couple of days ago. Yeah, and look, it's not, you know, the job and the mission isn't to go out and get personal vengeance or your personal, what it is though, part of it is because they impugned my name and my character so much that I spent so much of my time clearing my name. I'm in, I'm in court battles, clearing my name with defamation lawsuits against the mainstream media. And it's in no small part due to Adam Schiff's continuous, continuous churning of intentional false information to the media, to the public, and they still give him a platform. And I'm glad my friend Morgan Ortegas, who I served with in the Trump administration, called him out on The View, and he stumbled over his words because he knew he was called out. And I'll say this one um, as an example. Remember, Adam Schiff's the guy who not only read the Steele dossier into congressional record as fact, now he's calling it an allegation that should have been investigated on The View, but back then it was the Bible. He also held up a manila folder to the world and said, I have seen evidence of Trump-Russia collusion. I can't talk about it, but I've seen it. I'll let the public decide if Adam Schiff has ever shared that evidence. He hasn't because it doesn't exist and they can judge his own credibility. And that's why it's important that the people on Capitol Hill are supposed to represent American citizens when they fail. They need to be called out. You know, so speaking of Devin Nunes, He has been the one person that I'm aware of, that I've spoken with, who's been constantly, I guess, believing that Durham is going to get somewhere. I mean, neither you nor I, nor many other people that I've spoken to over the last months and frankly years, Mm -hmm. expected that it would get this far. You're right. Devin's instincts on this, he's probably the only person I know that have been 100% the whole time. I started off at 100 with Durham. I probably dipped down to like 70 and now I'm back up to 100. So I'll admit it. I, I was, you know, in a lull there for a while because I wanted actual accountability. But Devin's instincts on this, um, you know, um, have been spot on. So I would say to folks listening, um, yeah, please listen to me and our show, but um, maybe see what Devin Nunes is also saying about John Durham and where it's going. Well, okay, but before we check in with uh, Congressman Nunes, where do you think it's going? So we've, we've sort of hinted at it over the last couple of episodes with Sussman and Kleinsmith, and now, now we're talking about the Danchenko indictment. And I think, I still believe, as I've said in the past, that John Durham is building a larger conspiracy-style case um, against all these individuals that we've outlined, and I, he's outlined and identified in his indictments by titles. Now we've got the Dolans of the world, Fusion GPS, Glenn Simpson, Bruce Orr, Nellie Orr, Christopher Steele, Danchenko, Sussman, Elias, Hillary Campaign, DNC, the list goes on. But he's, and Jake Sullivan. 
was identified in one of the indictments, the current national security advisor. And he's got problems, I think, as well. And I think the reason John Durham puts all this out there is not to muddy people's reputations. That's not the purpose of an indictment, that that's this length for this style of charge. The purpose, I believe, for that kind of indictment is a speaking indictment, as we call it, is because he's building a larger case and he wants to educate the folks that are following this as to his findings, at least what he can share now. Because remember, behind each of these cases, as he's filed in, in federal court, are hundreds of thousands of pages of discovery of evidence that the defense has, the prosecution has to turn over to the defense. And a lot of that's classified, so it has to be declassified finally. So I'm excited for that because then we, the American public, will see a whole host of new information that was never previously put out because it's still classified, but it has to be. In a federal prosecution, a, a criminal prosecution, you cannot use classified intelligence. It has to be declassified. And I used to go through that process all the time when we were prosecuting terrorists. It's an extensive process that you have to work with DOJ and the intelligence community on, and that's what John Durham's doing. So I think uh, a lot more to come and a lot more conversations to be had on, on our show. And, and that it may take time, as you've yeah. said repeatedly. In, in past episodes. It takes time. Building those starts, just doing these cases. Now I know, you know, the public, I hope, has an idea of why it took John Durham so long. These 29-page, 39-page indictments, he's getting bank records going back years, phone records going back years. He's getting documentation from the FBI going back years. He's putting people in grand jury. He's getting them under oath. He's getting grand jury testimony. He's looking through reams of classified information from across the intelligence community, include the CIA and the FBI. He's trying to figure out the, how the corrupt actors like Strzok and Page, Lisa Page and Andy McCabe um, and James Comey were involved, what their culpability might be. This is something that takes time. I spent two, three, four years working on some prosecutions I worked on. So for the biggest political scandal in U.S. history, um, two years is a long time, but I think maybe he's only two-thirds of the way done. Well, I think this is a great place to end season two, frankly. I, I can't, can't believe I still can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> um, um, so, and uh, well, I guess it's time for our shout-out. Yeah, so I guess I have a little bit of a unique shout-out. First of all, Happy Thanksgiving to everybody, and we will see you after the Thanksgiving holiday. But uh, this week's shout-out goes to John Durham and his team of investigators. Thanks for restoring faith in the accountability of the Justice Department and the FBI, at least in some small measure. And we'll see you on the other side of the holiday break to hopefully talk about more indictments. <laughs>